This is episode 109 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Linda Balu. Nothing pleases Los Angeles-based adventure travel writer Linda Balu more than seeing gorgeous country from the back of a good horse. She has had the pleasure of staying at guest ranches in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona, and California, along with horse treks in Ireland, Ecuador, and British Columbia. Her articles have appeared in Equus Magazine, Horse Illustrated, Western Horseman, California Riding Magazine, Equitrekking.com, and numerous travel publications. Saddle up for a conversation about travel writing, finding salvation in nature, and romancing the soul. In this conversation, Linda shares her love of travel, horses, and riding, while taking us on an epic journey from the volcanoes of Hawaii to the majestic mountains of Colorado. She discusses her newest book, Embrace of the Wild, a work of historical fiction about Isabella Bird, a dynamic woman, equestrian, and British explorer in the 19th century who pushed the boundaries of what was expected of women in her time. This interview will inspire you to appreciate the powerful women who paved the way for the modern woman, take the trip that's calling you, notice nature's bounty, and put pen to paper. Linda urges us to remember to take time for romancing our souls along the way. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm excited to welcome Linda Balu to the show. Hi, Linda. Welcome. Hi, Carly. So great to have you here. And for people who listen to the podcast or if you're new to the show, how I always like to start off these conversations is learning a little bit more how horses have touched the lives of the authors that come on and speak with me. So, Linda, how have horses touched your life? Well, when I was a little girl, I lived next door to a breeding and boarding ranch for racehorses. And for 50 cents a week, I watered the horses. <laughs> I fell in love with horses, but I couldn't ride them because, you know, they were racehorses. So it wasn't until I was 37 years old that I could afford to own my own horse. <laughs> and uh, she became my whole life. And for 10 years, I was just hook, line and sinker. And, you know, we we did a, a very uh, dicey bit of dressage, just good enough to get into the three day events. And, you know, we jumped and I love to trail. I got, I just love to trail. But, and my writing, I'm always, I've always been writing all my life I've been writing but I never had a published piece until I published in Horse Illustrated. And that article was called The Art of Falling hmm. because I was a senior citizen in this arena. <laughs> my, you know, my, my trainer said, you know, you're gonna fall, you, you know, you're gonna fall. I'm going, well, if I'm gonna fall, why don't you teach me how to fall? Well, they never did that. So uh, I went around, I interviewed an orthopedic surgeon, a vaulting champ, a gymnast, and I put together an equestrian fall. <laughs> That's amazing. What a great topic. And that was my first published piece. And it, so it was like putting the things together that you love, bring you where you want to go. So, um, and then I went on to publish in Equus. And well, actually I had to, I got injured, which is, happens but not not from one incident it was just I was doing too much mm. and my body just said honey you're not doing this anymore and she was my best friend and I was just I didn't realize how attached I was to this animal mm -hmm. until, until I had to give her up and I gave her to hearts and horses where she helped with handicapped kids and I was able to come out and groom her which was very important in a healing. I, I injured my back. So it was very important in my healing process to be able to be with her mm -hmm. and just groom. Mm -hmm. 
and walk and be outdoors with her. Finally, after being crawling around on my hands and knees for about six weeks, I was able to walk again. But uh, in the process, I wrote Cowgirl Jumped Over the Moon. Now, Cal, you asked me, you know, about Cowgirl Jumped to the Moon. And what it was, was my way of letting go of mm. the horse world, of the jumping. And, uh, and my, in Cowgirl, my protagonist, Jim C., she's in the Grand Prix jumping circuit. She goes up into the high Sierras. She does everything that I ever wanted to do on a horse. And I didn't publish that book right away. It stayed in my drawer for quite a long time. But then as I healed, I was thinking, okay, what do I, I, I love horses. I love riding. I love the outdoors. Uh, what, how about being an adventure travel writer? <laughs> oh, that might work. Right. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, and I was going to ask you about that. I know that you, you, <laughs> as I galloped around your website, you obviously love horses, but there's this huge element that you're into now, which is travel. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your love of travel? I put those three things together and I put together a query uh, to a high-end ranch in Telluride, Colorado. It's called Skyline. And they said, come on up. Mm -hmm. And I went, really? All right. I'm on my way, pack up my bags. And it was the most fabulous experience. I mean, this was a really uh, sophisticated group of riders and fine horses. And, and Skyline Ranch was up on a mountain overlooking these 14ers and Telluride. And it was a fantastic experience that I could have never afforded. It was quite expensive. And uh, at the time, I, there was a young woman named Emma who was English and she was taking groups out. And she had us jumping over logs and you know, <laughs> galloping through the forest and going up to these marvelous views. And I mean, it was fabulous. So I wrote an article to ride among the clouds and Equus picked it up, Equus Magazine picked it up. So you see how it's carried forward you know, my love of horses, my love of riding, my love of writing, my love of being outdoors. And, you know, it just keeps taking me further and further. You know, right now I don't own a horse, but I I go to guest ranches. I've, I've stayed at and written about guest ranches in Colorado and Wyoming, Montana, uh, Ecuador. I did a horse trek in Ecuador on the Inca Trail. Oh, I did one in British Columbia. Just before the pandemic, I, I did a horse pack trip up into the back country of British Columbia. And that was really incredible. Wow. So that's amazing. So, so you're back since you've written, since you wrote Cowgirl Jumped Over the Moon, your back has gotten to the place where you can ride again. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I can ride. I just can't jump. You know, I can't take those kinds of risks. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and when I owned my horse, I was, I also uh, lived in the city, Studio City, and I had my horse out in the country. Mm. So I was commuting every day, working full time, selling real estate, which I've done all my adult life also to keep a roof over my head <laughs> and, uh, you know, support my eating habits. <laughs> but uh, it's a very flexible career, which is why it works for me. And I love this. I love how you've taken your passions, which are horses and travel, and spun them into something that, that is a career for you. What would you say to someone who has a dream or a passion and they're like, oh, I could never do anything with that? I mean, you are evidence that you can. So what would you say to someone who wants to take I something I think the like most important on? thing is to visualize yourself doing it. Mm. you see yourself doing it uh meditate on yourself doing it uh and simply start doing it you know <laughs> you want to be a writer right start journaling you know you want to be a, a travel writer start reading travel books and other writing and you know see what they've done and i have a i have a short book i wasn't going to get into it but i've got a how to get great gifts for free book Mm. which I teach people in that book how to go through the back door right now it's really not very lucrative travel writing is not lucrative period because uh, the digital world is taking it over mm. and so many people are giving their work for free and print magazines are going under 
So there's a whole transition, but with my method, uh, you're not going to make a living with it, but you're going to get fabulous trips. Mm, that sounds so, lovely. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening to this podcast would love to pick that up and learn yeah, how to get, get in the back door. Get great trips for free. Awesome. It's the uh, <laughs> renegade way to go. But basically, uh, you know, like I say, a lot of people say they want to write, but they never get around to doing it. I mean, you just have to, you know, make it a part of your life. That That is what you do, you know? Yep. Shoe it, shoehorn in that time to get the words on the page, whatever it takes. And it's sometimes a toughie. Now, you have written a new book, and I'm really excited to talk to you about your latest re- release, Embrace the Wild, the images behind you over your shoulder. This is a historical fiction based on a woman who is incredibly inspiring. And I wanted to thank you for sending over a copy so I could read it before we discussed uh-huh. the book. Can you talk with us about Embrace the Wild and what inspired you to take this on and write about such a amazing, adventurous woman? Dynamic woman, yeah. How did I have the, the chutzpah <laughs> to uh, write her story first person when she, in fact, was the best level tribal writer of her day? Mm-hmm. And her writing is far superior to mine. But her writing is also quite flowery and uh, dense for modern readers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I first met Isabella Bird, who is a Victorian age woman, whose uh, life didn't really begin until she was 40 years old. Uh, but I met her when I was researching for my first novel, which is uh, Wainania Boys from Old Hawaii. And she spent six months in the Sandwich Islands and she wrote a book about it. And I used her book for research for that. And then when I was in Colorado, I met her again because she became research for my uh, stories uh, that I wrote about in Colorado, my articles and so on. And I was just, uh, I had been, an admirer of hers for decades, at least two decades. But then the pandemic hit and I'd sort of been noodling around about wanting to write her life, but I was busy. I was having fun. I was traveling here and there. And all of a sudden the music stopped and I went, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I think I can do it with this gift of time. (laughs) <laughs> that I've received, whether I wanted it or not. That's a good way to look at it. Absolutely. So uh, she was a woman who inspired me in so many different ways. Because like I say, her life didn't really begin until she was 40. And my travel writing life didn't begin for me until I was in my 40s. And she was an equestrian. She was an incredible equestrian. My God, this woman rode like a banshee. Well, let me just give you a little bit of background about her youth. She had a tumor on her spine, carbuncles, they called them. And the surgeons operated on her several times without any anesthesia on her Mm. back. And they gave her, she was like a victim of overdosing. They gave her laudanum, which is a form of morphine opium. And they uh, bled her with leeches and incisions. (laughs) And they advised her to drink copious amounts of alcohol (laughs) you know and then and then because she couldn't hold her head up because she was such a mess uh, she would had nervous jitters and uh, she called it lassitudes we would call it depression chronic Mm -hmm. depression she couldn't lift her head up off the pillow by the time she was 40 and going through all of these things right Mm -hmm. Uh, and they had put her in a brace in a metal brace, this medieval torture. And the poor woman finally got up off the invalid bed and said, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here. I'm taking a sea voyage, I'm going around the world and I'm uh, going to be myself. And she did. And there was a sea, uh, there was a storm outside of uh, New Zealand that forced them to go to Honolulu. And that, is where her life changed because she saw the Hawaiian women and boys galloping across the, the Waikiki, you know, the Honolulu Bay, 
in colorful garb and flowers and just wild abandon. And then she, she was just, oh my God, I'm good. if I could only be with them, right? You know, she was so drawn to this. By a stroke of luck, one of the guests said, why don't you go over to Hilo for a while and relax while they're fixing the boat? Oh, the boat had to go into dry dock. So she did, and she uh, rode up the flank of the volcano there, the one that's been spewing lava so, so much in the last couple of years. And uh, she had to ride astride, which ladies don't do. Victorian age ladies don't do that. They ride side saddle. And even though the ride was a very, very rough ride, you know, very steep and challenging and through jungle and across lava fields and all of that, she wasn't in any pain. And mm. she realized, oh my God, if I'm sitting upright with my line and sp my spine in alignment, I, I don't have any pain in my back. Mm. So this was like mind blowing, right? Mm -hmm. So she stayed in the islands for six months and she grew strong and, and uh, she had a sense, she got in touch with her own sensuality. Mm. which had been buried in all of these drugs and all of this horrible treatment. I identified so strongly with this woman lifting herself up like that, you know, and carrying forward and moving on and doing what she really wanted to do in life, which was travel and be a writer. What is so incredible about this story is ladies traveling alone, let alone astride and not side saddle, was so unusual for that time. I mean, her story is so incredibly powerful and I love that you could associate with her as as well I mean I found her so bold and such a trailblazer and we can talk a little bit more because it's one of the questions I want to ask you in what ways you know her character foreshadows the modern woman but let's wrap up with like her adventures and then maybe we can hop into that question because I want reader or want listeners to know that this is so unusual for that time period. I mean, what, what year was this? 18? 1860. Well, she left in uh, 1873. 1873 is when she got to Colorado. I'll go mm -hmm. on now about the barriers that she broke through. Okay. Mm -hmm. she, for the first place in the Victorian age, uh, women were not even allowed to go to university. Mm -hmm. Her father was an evangelical preacher. So she was raised a very strict evangelical uh, life where her mother got her up before dawn and made her get on her knees and say her prayers. And she was supposed to be self-sacrificing and always, and uh, you know, get married, have children, be obedient, obey your husband. You know, you had no life without marriage in that day. You know, you, if, you, if you were not married by the time you were 21 or two, you were a spinster. Mm -hmm. She uh, did go on a voyage when she was 21 or 23. Her father sent her, her mother, they sent her on this voyage hoping she would meet someone to marry. <laughs> but she wasn't looking to get married. And she wrote a good book uh, about that time in the New World, New York. And uh, she went down to quote unquote, the slave states. And that book is interesting. But it's not her best writing because she was not free. She had to travel with a chaperone mm. and she had to go to only to certain places, you know, and uh, most of them were churches. And so, so it wasn't, uh, it was her first book, but not her best book. She had an aunt named Barbara who had been disowned by the family because she was a writer. She was, single she was unmarried and she wasn't so big on christianity so barbara she's you know invited isabella to spend some time with her and isabella then was introduced to a, a, an artistic colony people who were doing things you know with their lives different from what she had been exposed to so that really influenced her and she just was a strong-willed person. She was very intelligent, and she made most men feel uncomfortable because she was very, very bright. And um, as I say, marriage was not big on her list. So yeah, she broke through all of that, all those social barriers to be herself and to follow her own destiny, which that's the forerunner for the modern woman, a person who is self-actualizing, okay? Mm -hmm. 
My goal in life is self-actualization. That's to be myself to the hilt, to the most, to the best uh, that I can be. You go, girl. <laughs> I love it. So I think she is uh, an empowered woman who, as I say, you know, she, you know, she wasn't going for fortune and fame. She was an explorer. And, you know, after uh, after my book ends in Colorado, because I certainly couldn't cover her whole life because she went on to Japan and Korea and China and went to places where no white woman had even been seen before. And uh, she did that by herself. That's incredible. One question I did have, uh, her, her family did have some money right because because well, she had a little bit of money uh inherited money by the time she took her sea voyage her parents had died and she had inherited a little bit of money yeah she was of an upper class and sometimes she's accused of being a snob like mm. in her some of her writing especially in Hawaii when she talks about the savages and uh <laughs> you know she describes them as heathens or just a generation away from being heathens mm. but at the same time she lived with them and amongst them and spent time with them and in the end i think she really respected their their gods their mythology i mean she didn't you know she was still a christian through all of this mm. you know i mean she still believed in the christian beliefs and so on but she uh appreciated other people's you know, spirituality. Yeah. And I really got that from your book. I mean, she was always thinking about how to serve or help other people in need. And one, one thing that was really interesting too in the book was uh, her, well, your descriptions, I think, based on her writing uh, of how they were treating the horses and she wasn't keen on. That was one thing, the criticism she had of the Hawaiian people was that they were so hard on their animals. And mm -hmm. in fact, one of them breaks down on the ride, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. they just rode them into the ground. They, and, and it's odd because the Hawaiians are, you know, such generous and kind people in other ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was, but they used to eat dogs too. I mean, you know, they didn't have this regard for animals. And again, we're talking about 1873. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, things obviously have changed and progressed. I mean, the language that she used when writing would probably be very different now. The way people, you know, are just is, is different. So I feel like this is, this is such an interesting peak at a time where this woman was doing these incredible things that we can, women now can look to the past and say, wow, someone was doing things that we're all more capable of doing now, which is pretty incredible. To that note, how did you research this? I, I love that you said that you, you could relate with her because you had gone through an injury. Uh, you love horses, you love travel, you love writing. She was doing all those things too. So, so how did you research in I did, order to write I went her? where she went. I've been all the places that she went in Hawaii. She didn't go just to uh, Hilo. She went all over the island. She went to Maui. She went into the uh, Haleakala Crater. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she went all over. The, she spent time in Waipio Valley, which is in my book. And the reason that's in my book is because I spent three nights in Waipio Valley. <laughs> I spent three nights in Waipio Valley at Mr. Araki's hotel for $15 a night. Wow. And that was before they one year before they closed it to commercial enterprise. He was like, this little Japanese man has the only man who had a quote unquote hotel, which was a, a series of rooms on a porch in an enclosed lanai kind of thing. It's a screened in lanai. And I had a machete by my bed that was, you know, just for good measure. Oh my. <laughs> I was the only guest. And it was a wonderful experience for me because I was deep into, for my first book, I did, this was research for my first book, Set in Pre-Contact Hawaii. And Waipio is the Valley of the Kings. And there's so many of uh, the, the bones of many great chiefs are buried in the walls of Waipio Valley. It's a, it's a spiritual place. It's a sacred place. It's a gorgeous place. It's a special place. And I was there and she was too. And she took the ride up to that waterfall. Well, I hiked up to that waterfall. So I was able to describe these places. I could compare my experience and my, you know, of the place with hers. And these are places who, that have remained the same. Mm over the last 200 years, you know? Mm -hmm. 
because the Waipio Valley has been closed off. I mean, you can, today, you can take a one day trip down into the valley with guides, mm -hmm. uh, but you can't spend the night in there anymore. So, and a volcano uh, that she rode up the flank of the volcano. Naturally, I, I've been there. I hiked in Iki Crater. Uh, and and I, you know, I experienced these same things physically. I went to, uh, you know, so, and in Colorado, of course, uh, I wrote, uh, I wrote a, a one called uh, Riding in the Hoofbeats of Isabella Bird that was an essay that I wrote that won the Solace Award in Travel Tales Publications. And I've been a lot of places. Now, what I'm doing next, I've, done, I've created a mountain tour for myself you know, that goes in the 800 miles that she did. Previously, I just went to Estes Park in Rocky Mountain uh, State Park where she stayed most of the time, but she also rode 800 miles solo hmm. in the front range. And so now in September, and she did it in the fall. So I'm gonna do it in the fall. And I, I've got it all lined up, <laughs> I'm so excited. I can imagine. That's I am excited. excited. Uh, I've got it lined up. I have a book signing in Evergreen with uh, another historical fiction author who lives there. And then I'm going to uh, these Fair Play, which was one of the little towns that she wrote about where when she was there, she, it was vigilante rule and there was a hanging. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's evolved. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I hope so. but the mountains are still the same. Mm -hmm. And there's a little railroad there that I'm going to take that, you know, a little narrow gauge train. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to ride as much as I can, you know, as many horseback riding opportunities as I can. I know I can ride a day in Rocky Mountain National Park, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'll hike in the places where I can't ride. And then I have uh, I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation in Estes Park at the library there. And so, you know, it's going to be fun. And. You know, I don't make any, you know, I don't make a living at this. I just have a ball, you know, and so what's it all about? <laughs> well, that's great. I can hear how fired up you are. I mean, you're living your passions, which which is the you best know, thing ever. And now I understand that uh, Isabella Bird wrote wrote books or I'm sorry, wrote letters and, and captured her travels. Right. And did you read, you read those, right? When yeah, you well, were, her, her books are letters to her sister Henrietta. Mm. And Henrietta just sort of lived vicariously through Isabella. And she helped edit her stories and helped the publishing process for Isabella while Isabella was out, out running around. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's part of history. If, if I mean, that's the most interesting thing about writing too. I mean, these letters were personal letters to her sister right. and she then was, she was journaling consciously knowing that this was going to probably be interpreted into mm -hmm. you know translated into a book uh some of her letters are quite personal to henrietta but others are just simply descriptive of her experiences and then i did read one book called henrietta's letters which is the more personal selection that was not published it was not used in her published works Isabella's mm -hmm. but it was published later and it has the more uh, maybe things that she wouldn't have said in her more journalistic books there it also like meditative things you know journaling mm -hmm. it's journaling and uh, that's one thing if you want to be a writer journal mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit more about Mountain Jim and what you uncovered okay about I took some tremendous liberties with Mountain Jim okay I was wondering <laughs> Because in reality, uh, well, first of all, he was a devilishly handsome man. He had the gift to gab. He was well-educated and he liked to write. And he, you know, had lots of letters to the newspaper editors published in poetry and things like that. But he was also an alcoholic. Mm. And he was uh, a, a teller of tales. And, you know, nobody really knew Jim's true story. One thing they did know is that he was mauled by a bear. Mm -hmm. he, he was attacked by a bear and half of his face was uh, defigured very badly. So he was like the tragic comedy figure in my mind, you know, mm -hmm. and to me, he was like, you know, great good and great evil. And I really loved his character. And I made him more sympathetic 
by giving him a backstory in uh, that happened in the in Colorado in the Sand Creek Massacre, which is an incident in in the, in the history of our country uh, that was hugely overlooked. And it uh, the the place where the Sand Creek Massacre took, where the Cheyenne people were literally slaughtered at dawn by the soldiers, Union soldiers, who at that time the policy was extermination. And the Indians wanted to make peace and live with the white people, but they couldn't because the soldiers were intent on exterminating them. Mm. So when this uh, particular massacre happened, of which there were many, uh, it really fueled the Indian wars because when they attacked uh, Black Kettle's tribe, who was a peace chief who'd been given you know, safe passage. Uh, when they did that, that told the Indians, we can't, we can't get along with the white people. We have to fight. Mm. We have to fight to the death because they're going to kill us. Mm. And that bothered me. Okay. And when I read that, they did put a monument up in 2005, I think, where the Sand Creek Massacre took place. But for many years, the people, People just put it under the rug. I think the Coloradans maybe were not real proud of that particular incident in their history and didn't want to talk about it. And they may not appreciate me bringing it to light, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, in speaking of that, I, you know, I love that you mentioned that you took some, some liberties with Mountain Jim and then you gave him a backstory. Talk to us about, you know, because this is a story about a about real people, real events, but you fictionalized it. Talk I to did. us. Talk to us about how you prepare to do something like that, or think it through, in, in what your strategy is towards uh, writing a fictionalized. Okay, for me, it was story. just the only way I could tell the story, mm. I, I, and I did it in three parts, which is very unconventional. I mean, you know, you're a writer. You know, you're supposed to have a dramatic spine. You know, you have a you know how it works and that's mm. supposed to work in historical fiction too but it didn't work for me i couldn't do it without giving telling his story separately mm -hmm. because i wanted when they met for people to understand why these two very damaged people were soulmates mm. and why they fell in love with one another and why it couldn't possibly go anywhere for her but why it happened mm -hmm. They both, and this goes to the theme song in all of my work, which is <laughs> that you can find salvation in nature. And you write very elegantly about the natural world. And I believe that's because of all your travel. And I feel like exactly. you, you could really like connect with these two characters because they, they are also of that mindset. Now, speaking of writing, how do you structure your writing time? Like, what do, do you have a routine? Do you, yeah. I mean... Yes, if I'm working on uh, a book or an essay, I will read the night before on the topic. I'll read a book or something about it and I'll enlist my subconscious. I love that. Work for me. <laughs> and I, when I wake up in the morning, I don't do anything. I don't check my email. I don't talk to my other half. I don't do anything uh, until I do my writing. And I'll write, you know, for a couple of hours. And that, that's usually about, you know, as long as I go. And uh, maybe 500 words, something like that. And, um, and then I'll, you know, go on with the rest of the day, do what I need to do. And then I, I'll, part of my day is going for a hike. I go out for a couple of hours and I hike. I live in the hills. I live in the mountains. And then I come back and I read what I've written aloud because I, I really think that's very helpful to hear what you've said and to see if it flows. And, and I edit it a little bit and, and then I go on to the next chunk, mm -hmm. you know, of it. Uh, and that is a beautiful writing day for me. And I Sounds feel very sweet. good and accomplished with a day like that. <laughs> Sounds lovely. I always like to say, I, I, I also like to write first thing in the morning because I always feel satisfied having gotten that done right. and then getting on to other things right. because I, and can, I can go 
do whatever I got to do. Right. I feel guilty at the end of the day if I set aside my writing time and didn't get the writing done. So I think morning is, I mean, everybody writes differently, but mornings is a, a great strategy. It obviously works yeah. for you. Now, I want to shift a little into the business side of, of yeah. being an okay, author. Okay, which I was just going to say, I haven't been writing lately because in the last year, well, the first year of the pandemic, I wrote Embrace of the Wild. The second year of the pandemic, I went, okay, I can't, you know, let's, 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 you know, get better at this game, you know? Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time, um, you know, fleshing out platforms, studying platforms, figuring out what's new, what's great, what's better. And podcasts are a great way to get this information without straining your brain. Uh, and there are a ton of them and they're very, very, very helpful, I find. Uh, and so I have put all my, I had, I put all my books on Ingram Spark so that they're in, available to bookstores, not just ebook channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, draft to digital, by the way, just merged with Smashwords, which is going to be huge. And I'm getting, getting all my books over there. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm stepping up my game. Um, I'm quite good at placing Amazon ads now that work. You know, I studied that little scene. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of experimenting with what works, what doesn't work, what's going to be valuable for me. And um, I think that's been, I think it's going to pay off. Uh, I haven't done a lot of writing in the last year because I've been focused on that. Uh, Also uh, getting podcasts like yours. I'm very so pleased to be here because, (laughs) you know, you're, you're great. And uh, it's, for me, I think the way to go to market your books is virtual events. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a panel now with another historical fiction author, Strong Women in the West, which we are submitting to various venues. And I have PowerPoint presentations for all my books that I can take you know, anywhere people would like me because of Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I love this. I think that the pandemic has very positive impact for people who are marketing anything, but particularly for authors. You know, it's a lot of work to to go to a, for me, I live in LA, drive across town, take all my, you know, take, a, you know, all the stuff that's required for a good uh, signing and, or a talk. And so, yeah, that's what I, I, I think I think that's going to be very beneficial for me in this this year and coming years. So, I, so I'm hearing that you you took some time off to like really polish up your skills around marketing right. and the book business. You're an independent author. Is is that correct? Oh, am I ever? I just want to tell you the little story because this is. I want to tell this to people who are writing and you know don't whether know they have the moxie to publish. I shared this book. I have an editor. I don't put anything out that isn't fully edited and vetted and, you know, done carefully. And uh, I shared it with a Hawaiian woman who was married to a Hawaiian chief. She was Haole, but she was married to a Hawaiian chief. And she said to me, if you publish this story, you will receive 200 years of bad luck. Uh oh. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you are stepping on Hawaiian, sacred Hawaiian toes, as I'm telling the Hawaiian story, the history that they never put it together. They just give you bits and pieces. I put together the whole picture, you see. That set me back for about a year. I mean, I was sobbing. I had, I was so hurt. I was like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I thought they would love me for this, right? <laughs> unexpected response 200 years of bad luck bad luck did you shelf it or did you go ahead anyway it took me a year to to work up to doing anyway okay got it it anyway it really hurt me yeah yeah it really set me back I went wow I I thought I did something really good and, and I did my best and I was so you know worked so hard to keep this authentic and you know and then I I just decided you know what it's my book And and whatever you publish, whatever you do, not everybody's going to love it. This is true. People who take offense to what you've done. I've had, you know, some very odd comments, but mostly I've had wonderful reviews from not only Hawaiians, 
uh, you know, uh, people who've lived in the islands for many years and very, you know, intimate knowledge of the Hawaiian culture and so on. So I feel gratified and rewarded. And, you know, I'm so glad I published that book. And on the uh, topic of the 200 years of bad luck, it seems like you're doing okay. <laughs> so you haven't had the 200 years of bad luck, which I'm very no. glad to hear. Yep. How, and, and you've, you've written how many books now? I have three novels and I have one travel collection of travel essays that is my most meaningful, my most memorable travel experiences, Lost Angel in Paradise. It's my little handbook that gives you 32 day trips up the coast of California because oh, cool. I love the coast. I live here and I love all these places on the coast. Awesome. So that's uh, seven. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, I have. Well, if you include get trips, get great trips for free. <laughs> might have written eight. Eight. Okay. <laughs> so we have written eight books and I know writing one book is a heck of a an accomplishment. So how do you celebrate your successes and milestones as a writer? Romancing your soul. Aw. And that's what I do. I do it every day. <laughs> I do something for me every day. But if I do something like if I feel gratified about an accomplishment, then I I probably will take off. I'll, I'll go to the beach. I'll pick up some sushi and I'll hang out at the beach. I'll go for a swim. I'll go for a walk. I'll do my yoga. We do some meditations and nice. I'll just have a beautiful outdoor day. Romancing the love. soul. I love that. That's right. I romance soul. my soul. But you, you can do it with art, the smile of a baby, you know, but put some, you know, the secret, let's see, the secret to youth is to fill your mind with beauty. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, you can't, it just blows out all that negativity. You know, even if something bad's going on, you'll feel fine at the end of the day. I love that. All right, everyone, let's romance our souls every single day and do something grand in the romancing our soul category when we finish those books, right? That's great advice, Linda. So for you as an author, what has been the best part of, of being a writer? But then on the flip side, what has been the most challenging thing for you? Well, the best part, and I think I talked, well, there's several best parts of writing, but um, I think it's really wonderful when people uh, are transformed by your writing. Mm -hmm. Like, remember the Art of Falling mm -hmm. that I wrote, first mm -hmm. published article? In Horse years Illustrated. Later, <laughs> yep. Years later, I went to a guest ranch in Colorado, and we were, it was uh, early in the year, and the horses were a little jumpy so we had to go back off the trail and go into the round round pen and we were galloping around to get the bucks out mm -hmm. well one of them bucked one of the buckaroos off right <laughs> so at dinner the man who got bucked off came over to me and he said you know little lady you saved my life what do we talk i saved your life yeah i read that article of yours and I kept it, I kept it in my, in my barn. And you know what? That's why I didn't break a leg today. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And I went, really? So it made me feel that my writing is worthwhile. You know, that people are reading it and, you know, I want people to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest part, let me see. I've already talked about taking criticism. You got to do it, you know? So you have to, just roll with the punches, you know, I mean, and keep, keep rolling because Amazon thinks that it's good for you to have a one or two bad reviews because then they think that means people are actually reading your stuff. You know, mm. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is you just can't uh, get attached to either compliments or criticisms. You know, I think it's wonderful when people compliment my writing and it, it you know, makes me think what I'm doing is worthwhile I'd be doing it anyway but it's really nice if they compliment me but if they criticize me I, I just have to not be attached to those emotions mm -hmm. and you know you have to keep improving yourself if you can use these criticisms in a productive way uh, your work will grow you know and, mm -hmm. and and just and just keep trucking mm-hmm 
That's great <laughs> advice. Yeah, it is. It is one of the hardest things is to face criticism, but you're absolutely right. You can't please everyone. And this is a story that your soul, your heart wants to tell. So you got to follow that muse. So good on you for keep trucking, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time before you published your very first book? Well, I would do like other, uh, like all the successful indie authors that I know of. <laughs> and that's build a list. An email list, right? Build a mailing list. Yeah, mailing That's list. the key in everything that I've, you know, been studying this year. And you know, it all comes down to that. Now you can, uh, and I didn't do that. I focused on what I was writing mm. and having the guts to publish it. And, you know, indie publishing was new. And in 2008, it was, it was just burgeoning. And it, you know, it was an opportunity for me. And I, uh, and I used a, a, a boutique publisher at the time because I really didn't know what I was doing. And, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm glad I did. And I had to go through that process, but now things are different and you have, uh, places where you can build your list, uh, you know, ways that you can build your list, you know, you look into it. But I've had this problem that I have the two separate genres and like some of my, I've collected emails that, tra I have travelers, I have, I call them my hot contacts. <laughs> I have people that I've met on trips and I have people who are interested in travel, but I don't have a big, because my novels are, you know, as I, you know, they're separate entities and but I think the two horse books kind of go together. That's a little bit easier for me to market those together. But uh, I've had that that problem, but I'm working through it. If you want to market books successfully, I think it's kind of what you have to do. This one author I know, Toby Neal, she had 12,000 on her list before she published her first book. Mm. And then she went on to do a series, which is the other way, which you know very well, <laughs> to uh, succeed as an indie author is to do a series and then you can play one off the next blah 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 she makes a living of good one but she's a terrific marketer she has a beautiful newsletter she does tons of giveaways and she's very creative and like carly is very <laughs> thank creative you. thank we you like that. i admire it i mean i like i enjoy uh creating little little things for my books but mm -hmm. I certainly can't do a, a lovely book trailer like you do which is very nice I don't know if you do your own but I do yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things that, I mean that's that's kind of I love what you're saying because the the most difficult part is getting the books written and building your backlist because I think that's where the most money comes in from is having multiple books and then it's letting people know that you have these books. So it's never too late to start building your mailing lists. And it's never too late to learn how to make a book trailer. That's the beauty of what we're doing. When, when we're the indie authors, it's, we can learn and keep educating ourselves and grow what we're doing. I mean, you have a product to sell, which is fantastic. Right. Now you it's just, yeah, now you just bring people to the, right. you know, into the circle. So, you know, you can start before you write your book. Uh, or you can start after. I mean, we have a lot of flexibility, which is really great. I mean, I would I would say get the book written first and then worry mm -hmm. about the marketing later. You know, unless you're you're already rolling and you know what you're doing. But but for me, I think it's getting that book done that's the most challenging thing, especially the first one, getting over that hill. So, right. so and there's always room to grow and improve, and you're working on that. So right. good on you. Well, I I had to write the books. I mean, the writing is the is my reasoning, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I've written stuff that's important to me that I hope people will enjoy and care about. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, marketing it is, is another aspect, which I really am having kind of fun with, you know, because I'm finding some shortcuts and I'm, you know, seeing how all these things work together and, uh, and, and how I can work smarter. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'd love to have a virtual assistant. I've tried a couple of times. It hasn't worked out because by the time I get through spoon feeding them everything they need to know, I might as well have done it myself. Kind of thing, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but it would be nice. It would be mm -hmm. nice. You know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always people out there to help too. So I, I really hear that you've got your thinking cap on and, and looking at how to, how to build your mar marketing right. funnels, which is great. So 
you've got, you've done a lot. You've written eight books. You're, you're writing about your passion, which is horses and traveling. What are you curious about? What's next beyond building your author business? Where well, are you I have, I'm working on a series, right? My next one, I said, I had Los Angeles walkabout. Awesome. Lost Angel in Paradise, mm -hmm. right? I'm Lost Angel. I live in LA. And uh, my next one, which I'm halfway done, have enough stories, Lost Angel Unleashed. It's going to be some of those stories that might have, that I might have held back thinking they might have been not politically correct or Ooh. thinking they might have hurt someone who was alive mm. or just uh, didn't make the cut in time for the last book i'll be collecting stories that's what i'll be doing and i love to do that so i'll be happy to get back on the on the road fantastic so there's lots of light coming towards you with the writing and the traveling and yeah. building your author business i'm i'm so happy to hear about your success so where can listeners find out more about you and your books linda Okay, well, I have two websites, like I said, lindabaloauauthor.com has all of my books, and you can purchase my books on my site, and if you do, you get a signed copy and free shipping. Very cool. However, I just went on uh, draft to digital which puts ebooks everywhere in the world, so I, I, and I went on Ingram Sparks, so that means you can go on bookshop.org and support your local indie store and buy my book there. I mean, Everywhere books are sold now. That's what I've done <laughs> in the last year. Fantastic. My books are available in print and uh, ebook. Uh, I'd love to get a review. If you do read my books, that's always a wonderful thing. Yes, reviews help authors very, very much. It helps them keep writing and it helps people who are interested in what they're writing about find their books. So thank you for that. And then social media, where can people find you on social media? Oh, well, you know, I'm most active on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I, I guess I'm a little old school over there on Facebook, but you know, I like it there. So, and YouTube, I have a ton of videos on YouTube, actually. I have lots on my travels. I have interviews uh, from different places about my books. Uh, I have a playlist for great, get great trips for free with tips for people who would like to do that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, come and see me. Very cool. And I'll make sure to link to all those places and your books in your show notes so people can get directly with you, Linda. And I really, really am glad we did this. Thank you so much for the gift of your time today. Oh, Carly, it was great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.